Welcome back to the Vine Church Podcast. Today, we will be continuing our devotional series, The Gospel According to Zechariah. If you haven't already, you can find us on YouTube at the Vine Church Heart, and we'd love to have you join us over there. Good morning, all, and welcome back to our devotionals in Zechariah. Uh, this morning, I'm not actually going to be taking us through necessarily a passage in Zechariah. I'm more going to be kind of using this devotional as a bridge so that we can understand the next section of Zechariah. We've just finished chapter 11, and now we're moving into uh, chapters 12 to 14. Now, you may know that there are some very bizarre uh, interpretations of the Bible out there. There are some very bizarre theologies which are, frankly, very popular, but nonetheless bizarre. A lot of these bizarre interpretations come from Zechariah 12 to 14. And when I say they come from it, I mean, these chapters, being as confusing as they are, tend to be used to build whole systems. Now, um, I don't think that's right. I think we should use clear passages of scripture to uh, understand unclear passages. And so this morning, I'm kind of going to give some uh, uh, some frameworks to help us understand chapters 12 to 14, which can be very, very uh, confusing chapters. So hopefully we'll get some clarity. So as we go through this, you're kind of uh, switched on to know what's going on here. Now, one of the problems is, well, I wonder if you've ever tried teaching anyone a board game or you yourself have been taught a new board game before. Has anyone ever sat down with you and, and just read the rules and you're there thinking, this sounds like the most confusing game in the world. There's so many things to remember. Once you start playing it, you realize it's actually quite simple. You're seeing how everything fits together. You're seeing how the game unfolds, how the rules relate to this and that thing they mentioned. Oh, that's this thing. Oh, okay, I understand that. But when you have no concepts, when you have no context to understand those things, they just sound very, very confusing and how it it doesn't quite fit together. There's too much to take in. That's kind of what's happening in Zechariah 12 to 14. We have to remember that Uh, God's revelation of himself, the revelation of salvation, didn't all come in one go. It happened progressively. Adam and Eve knew less than Abraham knew. Abraham knew less than Moses knew, and and so on. And so we have the benefit of being uh, New Testament believers who have the fullness of God's revelation. And so now, with the New Testament in hand, we can understand The things which seem confusing in the old, it's like we're now playing the board game and we can see how everything in the rule book lined up. And I think Zechariah 12 to 14 is one of those places where it's really helpful. Now, the reason I'm doing this before we get there is because one of the things that we keep finding in Zechariah 12 and to 14 is uh, talk about Jerusalem and Judah. Now, if you were to read through 12 to 14 in, in one Uh, go you might ask yourself well is Jerusalem going to be destroyed or is it going to be saved is Jerusalem about to be removed by the Lord or gloriously transformed by the Lord and the question is the the answer is yes all of them it seems like it's uh, inconsistent or saying different things Jerusalem is about to be destroyed Judah is going to be destroyed but then Jerusalem is going to be saved which one is it and the answer is It's hard to understand if you don't have the New Testament. It's hard to understand if you don't have the rest of God's revelation to uh, unpack it for us, to explain it for us. And so the question I've I've named this devotional that that we're going to think about is, which Jerusalem is Zechariah talking about where? Now, the first thing to say is that 
things which are named often become bigger than uh, bigger concepts than the thing themselves. Uh, what I mean by that, it's really very simple. We associate thoughts, feelings, events with a thing and then call that same thought, feeling or event the same thing. So um, to use an example to actually make sense of what I'm saying, we think of Friday generally in our culture as the end of the week, the night where you can open up a bottle of wine, put your feet up and enjoy the fact that there's no more work for a few days. And so you find sometimes people say, if they've taken a day off on Thursday or something, I'm having Friday on Wednesday. Or I remember someone saying at the beginning of lockdown, we've got Friday every day. And it's a funny concept really, because it doesn't actually make sense if by Friday we always mean the day before Saturday. However, if we're associating uh, thoughts, feelings, and events that happen, opening the bottle of wine, feeling relaxed, putting your feet up with Friday, then we can use that word to reference loads of things. We can talk about Monday being Friday if we've got the ability to put our feet up and not have to work on Tuesday. And the same thing really happens in the Bible. They take places which are real places situated somewhere, and what they associate with that place becomes a thing in itself. So take the city of Babylon, for instance. Babylon was a real city uh, in the Middle East. It was somewhere that uh, Israel were taken to. And so Babylon becomes the place which is associated with God's people being in captivity. So Babylon is where God's people are in captivity because they really were there in captivity. But then an interesting thing starts to happen once they've returned. They start to refer to anywhere that seeks to um, captivate God's people in a negative sense as Babylon, even though the place isn't actually Babylon. You find in the second century that Christians are referring to Rome as Babylon because Rome is persecuting the church. You find in the first century something very surprising in the book of Revelation and in the book of 1 Peter that the apostles are referring to Jerusalem as Babylon. They're referring to God's holy city as Babylon because this is the capital of the persecution of the church. So it's something very interesting is happening. They're taking the, the events, the emotions, the, the association of a place, and they're applying it to somewhere else. And so one of the things that's happening in Zechariah is we're, uh, well, for Zechariah, he doesn't know any of this. He doesn't, he doesn't have, they don't have this concept of, um, of Jerusalem being Babylon or Jerusalem being something else. Jerusalem is Jerusalem is Jerusalem. And so it doesn't quite make sense. But one of the things that starts to happen as you move into the New Testament is there comes to be two identities of Jerusalem. And I'm just going to read from Galatians 4. So in Galatians 4, Paul says this. He's, he's talking about the story of uh, Hagar and um, Sarah and bearing their children. And he says this in Galatians 4, 24 to 25. He says, this may be interpreted allegorically. These two women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, and she is in slavery with her children. But we belong to the heavenly Jerusalem, a woman who is free. So the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. 
You see what he's doing there? He's saying Mount Sinai, a geographical place, a real place you can go to out in the desert, that represents captivity, that represents slavery. And the present Jerusalem is Mount Sinai. But we belong to the heavenly Jerusalem, who is free. He's doing something very interesting. He's calling two different groups Jerusalem. The real physical place, Jerusalem, that's nothing more than being in captivity. That's like Babylon. That's Mount Sinai. But we belong to a different Jerusalem. And you can say, well, there aren't two Jerusalems. But Paul says there is, because it's bigger than just geographical areas. So the identity of Jerusalem itself is now starting to change. It's not simply a place you can go to. Just as in the same way as that God's, the identity of God's people is starting to change. I, as far as I know, I'm not descended from Abraham physically. I don't think I have any Jewish blood in, in my line. And yet, Galatians 3 calls me a child of Abraham. And so what does that mean? Who do I belong to? I belong to Israel, therefore. That's very interesting. Because have we got two Israels now? Well, yes. Another passage from Paul in, in 1 Corinthians 10, he's trying to make a... Uh, a point from the history of Israel and he uses a phrase which is very funny and, and you might it might not say this in your translation it's probably just a footnote but in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 18 he says consider the people of Israel now as I say you might have a footnote in your bible which says what it literally says so the literal translation is consider the Israel according to the flesh consider the fleshly Israel and the implication there is you, spiritual Israel, consider the fleshly Israel. We've now got two Israels, one fleshly, one spiritual. And, and finally, just one other place to, I want to read from is Romans 9. Romans 9, verse 6, Paul says this odd thing. He's about to start a, a, a two chapters just asking the question, well, what about Israel? How do they fit in? What are they? Is God abandoning his promises to them? What's happening? And he starts it by saying, it's not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. He's setting up two Israels. And so the, all I'm trying to do here is, is show that by the time you get to the New Testament, the uh, concepts that were once so solid in the Old Testament are now starting to be uh, understood differently in light of what Jesus has done. Jesus has welcomed Gentiles into the fellowship of God. Do we still have that Jew-Gentile divide? No. The book of Ephesians and Galatians are really, really big on this. No, they are Israel. They are children of Abraham. Well, what do we do for these people who are actually descended from Abraham, but who reject the Messiah? And, and Paul kind of says, well, yeah, we can't deny that they're physically descended, but they're not the inheritors of the promise if they're not believing in the Messiah. They're kind of just like a fleshly Israel. And this Jerusalem, this physical place, which is so-called the holy city of God, but is persecuting the people of God, well, it doesn't really seem like the holy city of God. It's Babylon. It's Mount Sinai. It's, it's the place that used to be, as Revelation 17 says, it used to be full of righteousness. Well, actually, Isaiah 1 says it used to be full of righteousness, but now it's become a whore, is the language of Isaiah. It ceased to be Jerusalem. And now we understand Jerusalem as God's people, wherever they are. The church is Jerusalem. That's what Hebrews 12 teaches as well. 
So the point I'm trying to make is, as you get to the New Testament, the concepts which are once very clear in the old now become re-understood and reimagined, which means as we go back to places like Zechariah, where the future of these places is being promised, is being prophesied, you have to ask the question, which Jerusalem are we talking about? Which Israel are we talking about? Are we talking about God's people, the church? Or are we talking about the physical place and the physical um, uh, people? And one of the problems is uh, a book like Zechariah is so symbolic. It's so full of imagery that is, um, can it, it grabs you. And so we, it makes it even harder to work it out. But I hope as we go through the next few chapters, we'll start to see that there is hope, there is promise uh, in Zechariah 12 to 14 for us. There is good things for us to be said. It's not a, type, a place to be confused uh, primarily. It's given to encourage. Yes, it does seem like Jerusalem's going to be destroyed. Is that us or is that Jerusalem, Jerusalem? It does seem that Jerusalem's going to be restored and God is going to fight for them. Is that us or is that Jerusalem, Jerusalem? Let's see as we go through. But as I say, all I'm doing today is functioning as a, a bridge to give us the concepts to kind of unpack Zechariah 12 to 14 as we go through. So let's just uh, pray as we finish. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have been unfolding a story of salvation for thousands of years. Lord, we thank you that you have uh, given us concepts and places and people which are sometimes hard to understand but reveal your love to us. Lord, help us to not come to your word with confusion but with excitement. Help us not to be uh, bamboozled by it, but to really find the joy of seeing your story unfold in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, thanks for joining me, guys, and I'll see you later. Bye.